Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Um, when Bob asked me to introduce him at today's lunch, I told him that uh, I'd be honored to do so. And uh, I use the word honored uh, deservedly so, as Bob has uh, both an accomplished professional life as well as an accomplished personal life. To start with, I'd like to share some of the professional resume with you as it is most impressive. Bob grew up in Columbia, South Carolina and attended public schools there, followed by matriculation at the University of South Carolina, both undergraduate and law school. Then he attended the University of Miami to pursue a master's in tax law and finished that program in 1975. He'd been married to Noel for 44 years and he moved to Charleston in 1985. They have two sons and seven grandchildren, all living within a few minutes of each other. I have a similar situation, it's wonderful. His legal practice focuses helping uh, clients plan for the long-term stewardship of the resources which clients have accumulated over their careers. He's certified by the South Carolina Supreme Court as a specialist in estate planning and probate law and has been listed in the best lawyers in America in the field of trust and estates since 1991. Professionally, Bob has served as chair of the probate, estate planning, and trust section of the South Carolina Bar, and as chair of the tax section of the South Carolina Bar. Nationally, he was elected as a fellow of the American College of Trust and Estate Council in 1986, and has served on the college's board of regents on the executive committee as the South Carolina state chair and chair of the college's technology committee. In Charleston, he has served as a member of the board of, the, uh, of Trident United Way, the Coastal Community Foundation, the Barry Islands Free Medical Clinic, the Carolina Youth Development Center, the Life Management Center, the South Carolina Episcopal Home at Still Hopes. Boy, you've done a lot. Senior and junior warden at St. Michael's Church, as trustee of the Protestant Episcopal Church of South Carolina, and as chancellor to the Diocese of South Carolina. Most impressive. But I want to talk about, uh, from a personal standpoint, I've known Bob for many years, uh, but have recently had the pleasure to get to know him on a much deeper basis, as we are part of a large group of um, senior golfers that have fun on Saturday mornings dealing with the fact that age and low scores do not go together. Ironically, we've discovered that we also suffer from the same malady and affliction. We call it the yips. I think we'd rather wrestle the devil than face a three-foot putt for a win. In spite of this condition, however, he now serves as the 2018 president of the Southern Seniors Golf Association. Our friendship grew even stronger as we both attended a Christian men's conference in St. Christopher earlier this year. There I witnessed his deep-rooted faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We talked about many of the values we hold dear, our faith, our families, our careers, peaks and valleys of our lives, and our excitement about the life in our church. Men, I introduce to you a thoughtful, kind, strong, and joyful husband, father, grandfather, son, friend, and disciple, a man of true character, Bob Coons. ask you to allow me to begin with a word of prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> For those of you that do not know, our older son, Rob, is ordained as an Anglican priest in this diocese. 
Rob serves as the chaplain to the prayer center at Camp St. Christopher. Rob has a particular gift for healing ministries and teaches at churches throughout the diocese on this topic. One of the many blessings of having Rob as a son is that he introduces me to authors with whom I might not have otherwise been acquainted. One person to whom Rob introduced me is Dr. Russ Parker. Russ has written a book entitled Rediscovering the Ministry of Blessings, which has had a profound effect on my life, so I ask that you allow me to share that story with you. In talking about blessings, the first thing that God does after the creation of man is to bless it. Scripture records in Genesis 1.27 the following, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. If God's first action is to bless mankind, we need to examine what that means. What, what's the meaning of the word blessing? In fact, if you do a search, you'll find that the word blessing is used 463 times in the King James Version of the Bible. So it's ubiquitous throughout the scriptures. If you look in the dictionary, the dictionary says the word bless has two contexts in which it's primarily used. The first is to confer divine favor upon, so as to ask God to bless something, to ask God to look favorably upon something or someone. And the second is to exalt or venerate or revere. So if I said, may God bless you, then I would be uh, invoking God's divine, divine favor upon you. If I said, um, or if I read the, the Psalms that said, bless the Lord, I would be saying exalted or venerate. So that word has multiple meanings as used in the scripture. So after the fall of man, who is the first person that God specifically blesses in scripture? In Genesis chapter 12, we find the following. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make you great, your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. Abram is encouraged to step out of his comfort zone into an adventure with God in a new country. God has promised Abram that he, God, would put his mark on Abram if Abram kept true to God's divine guidance. God would transform Abram into someone whom others would recognize as favored by God. Abram's greatness would not lie in his possessions, but in his being possessed by God. Blessings come with the expectation that God is bringing changes in Abram's life and in the lives of those Abram blesses which is evident by the changes made in those lives. Again, Abram is called upon, and God says that all peoples on earth will be blessed through Abraham. Abraham, of course, is a model for us as Christians. He teaches us what we ought to be doing. We should be living lives that, that reflect God's blessings in our lives. It's important to recognize that blessings are given and experienced within the covenant loyalty to God. Remember the scripture says, so Abraham left as the Lord had told him. Abraham remained faithful to what God had described as Abram's part of the covenant. It is God who blesses us, especially those who stay faithful to their covenant identity. Abram was a blessing to others, demonstrating how he was living his life in obedience to God's covenant. 
You'll recall other Old Testament examples of those people looking for blessings and the benefits that flow. I think quickly of Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, and the trick that was pulled upon Isaac so that he blessed the wrong son. The importance of blessings for the people in the Old Testament cannot be overestimated, and the responsibility it carried to share those blessings from God with others. If you turn to the New Testament in Luke chapter 3, you find God's blessing of Jesus. The scripture says in Luke 3.23, And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Can you imagine how hearing that blessing from God must have been to Jesus, who had not yet healed anyone or spoken comforting words to anyone? Jesus was just being the son of his father, and that was worthy of affirmation by God. And then we find Jesus issuing blessings in Mark 10, 13 to the children. The scripture says, And they were bringing children to Jesus that he might teach them and touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And Jesus took the children in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Jesus links the blessing of children to the ability to receive the kingdom of God in your heart. While Jesus' words are not recorded, I think we're to conclude that his blessing prayer was that they would experience the kingdom of God for themselves. We need to take seriously the link between the prayer of blessing and expected outcomes. So if we desire the blessings of God for ourselves and our families, where do we begin? We really ought to begin in the home. I was raised by two wonderful parents who loved me dearly, but they did not model for me an intentionality about the fact that the blessings I had received came from God. I confess that when my children were young, I too failed to describe consciously to my children the need to recognize that all blessings come from God. So I was fascinated when I first learned about the Orthodox Jewish family tradition on Friday evening at the Shabbat celebration where the parents regularly bless their children. And they bless their children after the meal is finished with the father taking each child uh, each of his sons, and laying his hands on them and proclaiming this blessing. May you be like Ephraim and Manasseh. Then he goes to explain that Ephraim and Manasseh were, of course, um, David's children, and that they were effective, um, excuse me, Joseph's children, and that they were effectively names that meant, in Ephraim's case, um, excuse me, in Manasseh's case, meaning forgetful. And Joseph explained that that meant that God had made him forgetful of his troubles and his father's household's troubles. So Joseph used that naming of his children to remind himself about the blessings God had bestowed upon him. And his son Ephraim was named uh, Ephraim because Ephraim meant fruitfulness. And Joseph explained that God had made him fruitful in the land of his suffering. So at the heart of family blessings is the t touching and celebration and honoring of the children. What we do not shrink, uh, what we do not celebrate shrinks with affirmation. It's in blessing our children that we honor them and give value to their lives. We're encouraged to bless others, but always in reliance upon the fact that it's actually God who blesses us. The Bible teaches us that we do not have any right of our own human being uh, to bless. That soul capacity lies with God, but we do have the commission to bless others under the guidance and authority of God. The blessing that's most familiar to all of us is found in Numbers. 
The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying thus, You shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So what do these phrases mean? The Lord bless you and keep you means to preserve and guard. The Lord make his face to shine upon you means that God's shining revelation is to do us good and to bring us intimacy with him, not as mere associates with his cause. It's designed to inspire and increase intimacy and unity of relationship between God and whoever is blessed. The Lord turn his face to you and give you his peace. Turning one's face away from one uh, shows anger and a lack of favor. Turn one's face towards someone, however, is a blessing. You'll recall that the prophet viewed God turning his face away as his divine judgment in light of the national apostasy. But you'll recall in the Psalms that David invites God to turn his face upon and shine upon the, the people of Israel. Give you his peace means to provide complete and total welfare. Putting his name on his people means that God identifies them as his people and he will protect them. We hear that blessing or a version of it at the end of every service every Sunday. We don't really recognize and pause to think what the idea of blessing means from that standpoint. In his book, Parker talks about, do we have a right to expect blessing? And his sense said we should become a people who expect people who expect to be blessed by our, our actions and our conditions. If we keep the covenant we have with God, if we live in unity with God, and if we live holy living, then we have a right to recognize that God will bless us in those things. What I really want to talk about today, though, is more of the Father's blessing. Most of you men, I suspect, here are fathers, or at least you're children of somebody who is a father. And part of what I want to talk about here um, is a, an experience that I've had in the last 15 months. The Lord has blessed me in a particular way um, that has been special to me in the last 15 months. I was adopted at birth. I was raised by two people who loved me uh, greatly. I was an only child, so I had no sibling rivals or competition. I was told early in life that I was adopted. And it was expressed to me that these people had adopted me because they loved me, they sought me out, they had made me uh, extra special, was the way they described it. And I felt very loved and, uh, and uh, approved and, and uh, very much uh, comfortable in my household at that time. And I never really considered anything about my birth family and anything of that nature. My wife, though, said, do you think you ought to consider talking to your parents about whether or not there are medical issues that your birth parents might have and I never really felt comfortable doing that with my parents, so I never did that during my parents' lifetime. But a few years ago, when the data became more available for us to take our own uh, genetic testing, I began exploring those, and I went to the 23andMe website and found a, a, a GNA testing kit that I ordered. 23andMe sends you a kit that has a little test tube, and you put your saliva in that test tube, and you send it back, and they send you the results saying, here are what your genes show in terms of genetic issues that may be there in your family. Thanks be to God, I had no real genetic issues that showed up in that. I didn't have the early onset dementia genes. I didn't have the Parkinson's genes. I didn't have so many of those other genes that can be very bad. So that was good news for my, myself, my children, and my grandchildren. But the other part of what 23andMe does is they say that we want to match your chromosomes 
with chromosomes of other people who come in and let you know about that. Just to back up a minute, you'll all recall from biology that we have 23 chromosomes from our mother, 23 from our father. They're all unique in that sense, but they're passed down from parent to parent to us. So 23andMe says, we'll let you know if we find somebody with some common chromosomes. So they began to send me some emails saying, we've identified somebody who has one chromosome similar to you. This person is probably your fifth or sixth cousin. And I got those emails for three or four months. And then I got an email saying, we've identified somebody who has 11 common chromosomes. This person is very likely your first cousin. So here I was with the decision that I had avoided. Do I really want to find out about my birth family? Do I really want to know anything about them and the genetics of what that reveals? So my wife and I prayed about that. I talked to David and Rob about that. And I decided I was going to pursue this. I was going to see what, what lay behind this um, email from this woman. So I emailed this woman, whose name is Lane, and I said, Lane, my name is Bob Coons. I live in Charleston. I know absolutely nothing about my biological family. Would you be comfortable in sharing some information for 23andMe says we're likely first cousins? She emailed me back in about 15 minutes, and she said, tell me some more about you. So I gave her some additional information you could find online if you Google me. And she wrote me back. She said, I'm always a little hesitant to share information until I can validate somebody's bona fides. She said, but I can tell you that you are indeed my first cousin. My mother was in a family of four girls and two boys. Uh, they lived in Ocala, Florida, and your mother was one of those four girls. In fact, your mother is still alive. So I was then faced with the decision, do I want to meet her? So I said to, to Lane in an email, um, my mother's birth mother is named Joyce. I said to Lane in an email, does Joyce know about this? And she said, Ironically enough, Joyce thinks that her secret of your birth is not known within the family. But everybody in the family knows it, but they, <laughs> but they respect her privacy enough that none of them want to effectively tell her we know that. So she said, I'm not sure how I'm going to broach this issue with her. She emailed me two days later and said, I was taking Joyce to a funeral, and I decided to say to her, you know, I've done the 23andMe testing, and it reveals that I have a first cousin who lives in Charleston. She said Joyce was strangely quiet about that. And then Joyce called her two days later and said, Lane, you can tell him you found his mother. I said, Lane, what does she feel about that? You think she wants to meet me? And so Lane said, I talked to her about that. And she said, she said she's been praying for you your entire life. And that she always hoped she'd have a chance to meet me before she died. So fortunately, as Jim said, I belong to a golf, golf organization that plays in tournaments around the southeast, and so I was going to a golf tournament in Orlando. Orlando is about an hour from Ocala. So I emailed Lane. I said, Noel and I are going to be in the Ocala area. Would you be willing to see if you and Joyce would meet with us um, one evening? So as it turned out, we met Joyce and Lane in a Holiday Inn in Ocala, Florida uh, in March of last year. Joyce um, was 21 when she gave birth to me. She was 89 last year when I first met her. So I said to my son, Rob, what do you say to your mother when you first meet her at age 68? And Rob said, tell her thank you for giving birth. He said, in today's world, you would have been aborted. You wouldn't be around. So I did that. I said to her when I first met her, 
I first want to tell you I want to give you thanks for carrying me to full term and um, for not aborting me. Um, she told me stories about what a difficult and hard life she'd been through and how she felt I would be so much better off having been adopted. And from what she described, I certainly couldn't disagree with her. I was raised, as I said, by two people who loved me deeply and had a wonderful life from that standpoint. But it's interesting to me because um, she struck me as somebody who uh, was very interested in family. Her nieces and nephews all adored her. She never had any other children, so I was the only one, and she'd never known me for all those years. So after we met, Noel asked me as we were having supper, she said, what are your feelings about all this? And I said, you know, I'm still processing things. I really don't know how I'm absorbing this. I said, let me think about it overnight and see what my thoughts are. But when I woke up the next morning, uh, God's Holy Spirit had given me a Christian praise song that was running through my mind. And the words of the song uh, effectively go that uh, you're a good, good father. Uh, I've heard through the night the tender whispers that you've given to me. Uh, you're a good father, um, and it's you uh, who love me, and I know that I'm loved by you. And it led me to think that although I had been to see Joyce thinking it might be a blessing for her to see me, to see how I'd turned out and things of that nature, I realized that God's plan was bigger, that God really intended to bless me through that process more even than he blessed Joyce. And it did for me to know and reaffirm to me that whether or not I ever find my birth father, I know my heavenly father. I know all of what's in, uh, what blessings he's bestowed upon me and what great things he's done for me in my life. And so that was an even ble bigger blessing for me than meeting my birth mother and the blessings that she described of having a chance to meet me. In January, I took Rob and David down there to meet her. So she's now met three of us in our family, but not anybody else beyond that point. She turned 90 in January, and she's still feisty, as my wife would describe her. Um, and enjoys getting around a lot in terms of, of what's uh, going on from that standpoint. But the other part of what God reminded me that morning in, o in the Ocala, Florida hotel room uh, was the, the scripture where Jesus uh, is approached by the folks who say, your mother and brothers and sisters are outside. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says that, who are my mother and brothers and sisters? They're the people who do the will of God. And God reminded me that the people who are my brothers are the people who are in this room, the people who have accepted God, the people who said, I, I confess my sins. I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You are the people who are my brothers in this room, and for that I give thanks to God. I will tell you that having been adopted um, was an interesting experience to me when I began to study the book of Romans. You'll recall that Paul talks in the New Scriptures about a spirit of adoption, the fact that we're all born as creatures, but we have the right to become the children of God through God's adoption when we profess our faith in Jesus Christ, when we confess our sins and we acknowledge him to be our Lord and Savior. So I've always taken great thrills in the fact that I've been adopted twice, once by earthly parents who loved me deeply and, and treasured me and cherished me with all their, their values and mores, but more importantly, I've been adopted a second time, as all you have been adopted at least once, uh, into, the, into the family of God. Paul reminds us in Romans that we have the right to call God Abba, Father, that most personal of relationships. That's the term Jesus uses in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prays to the Father. He talks about Abba, Father. So through Jesus' sacrifice, we have that same right of intimacy and fellowship with God um, that is most amazing in terms of what he's done for us from that perspective. I want to take a minute and close by 
reading you something that Russ Parker's written in his book about fathers and blessings. A father's role is to protect, to provide, and to establish his children's identity. Maybe your father did that for you. Maybe he didn't. Perhaps he abandoned you or abused you sexually, physically, verbally, or emotionally. Maybe he died before you were ready or left you for some other reason. Maybe he made you his pet, delighting you so much that you haven't been able to break away to be your own person. Perhaps he was distant, removed, and showed no interest in you. Perhaps he terrified you with his anger and his rage. Perhaps he made you the scapegoat of all of his troubles so that you suffered for things that other people did to him. Perhaps he blamed you for things that were not your fault at all. Maybe he worked too hard or played too hard and never spent time with you and so didn't join in your games, dance recitals, birthdays, and achievements. Maybe he spent too much time with you, forcing you to become the athlete, student, doctor, lawyer you never wanted to be. Perhaps he left you in the care of hurtful people, dangerous people. Maybe he didn't see or believe you when you went to him for help. Perhaps he was too preoccupied with himself to see anything you wanted or needed then. I hope you're willing to hear the words of a broken father speaking to you. So I'm going to ask you each to close your eyes for a moment and let me read this prayer. I realize that I am not your father, but please allow me to stand in for him. And in place of your father who may or may not have said any of these things, please allow yourself to hear these words. I ask your Heavenly Father to richly bless you in all the places I fail to bless you. I ask the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of his cross and blood, to set you free now from any harsh or cruel words that I said, especially the ones that you keep remembering over and over. I am so sorry. I ask the Lord to set you free from heart injuries you sustained from me or from others in whose care I placed you. I ask the Holy Spirit to set you free from heartache disappointments, dreads, grief, or rage you cannot resolve. I'm so sorry for any other struggles I may have caused you. May you be healed from being ignored by me or overindulged by me. If I ever made you feel less than or not good enough, I am deeply sorry and ask you to please forgive me. May the Lord set you free from working so hard to please me when nothing ever would. May the Lord set you free from trying to get from me what I never had to give you. I'm so sorry. May the Lord set you free from blaming me for failing you, not because I need that, but so you can be free to grow, receive, and to achieve. May you be creative in ways you've not yet imagined. May the Lord give you all the things I was unable or unwilling to give you. May the Lord guide you in ways I never could and grant you peace. May the Lord free you from the effects of my addictions, my anxieties, and my anger. May the Lord free you from feeling that you always have to be perfect or that you have to be what I expected you to be. I pray that God will help you see the hurt and the pain I caused you came from my own childhood. It limited me, and I'm so sorry if it's limited to you. I pray that God will remove from you any belief that you were not wanted or loved. I pray that the Lord will release you from any unhealthy bond that you may have with me. I want you to keep all the good that came from me Give what you do not need to carry to God. My beloved son, I love you. I am so proud of you. I am so glad you were born. I am so thankful you are here. 
God, your heavenly Father, cause your life to flourish and be fulfilled in his healing grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Russ Parker's book has been a monumental change to me in my life in reminding me that we're all called to and commissioned to be people who share God's blessings, remind others of God's blessings. I commend the book to you and to your reading. One of the things that I would like to do is, is I've asked uh, the folks who were here early uh, to share some prayer cards that were printed that are blessing prayers. It's an opportunity for you to see uh, something that my son Rob wrote that gives you an idea of how you might go about blessing other people, uh, from your children to your families to the people with whom you come to work. So I've asked Charles and some others to give these to you as, as you leave this afternoon, um, but that's all I have. Thank you very much, and God bless you. Well, Bob, Bob, thank you so much. Um, it, it is really special to get that intimate, special story uh, from your life. And um, you know, we don't we don't talk to each other about that kind of stuff very much. So thanks for coming up here and, and showing us how to do it. That, that really um, that was touching all of our hearts. Um, I, I have this book that Bob was talking about. He gave me a copy of it, and I wanted to, to wrap up today by reading something to you that um, about God that, is, that, that he talks about here that's astonishing. Uh, he says that the Hebrew words for blessing in the Old Testament are barak and barakah. And they're both derived from a word that means knee, like your knee. He goes on to talk about what that means, what that's referring to. And he said, you know, you might think it's referring to the fact that, that before God we all bend our knee and, and honor God. But he said that's really not what that word Means, and I went and looked it up in the in the Greek and the Hebrew, and got the the, the terms. Um, and, and I just wanted to to read a couple of passages to you about this idea of bending the knee to bless, and especially about the idea of God bending His knee. If you if you think about it, we don't have the highest status as sinners uh, before God. And um, I remember a friend who is in this room saying to me one time, when you think of Jesus, how do you see him? Do you see him up here above you? Or, or do you see him on his knee before you looking you in the eye on your level. And it just stopped me cold when I heard that. And I thought, really? 
could that be true? And so let me read these texts that speak of that. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and correcting them on a point, and he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if you think about Jesus' crucifixion, he had been badly beaten, and so much so that they had to give his cross to someone else to carry it for him. But when they got to Golgotha, they put him on the ground on that cross beam, and they nailed his arms into it. He was in the dust for us. Then there's this passage. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And there is that idea of, of that relationship and that blessing. And I lay down my life for the sheep. The reason the Father loves me is that I lay down my life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down willingly. And then there's this story. Jesus got up from the supper, laid aside his outer garments, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel. And I think that's the image that came to me when this friend in the room here today said to me, you know, do you see him up there, or how do you see him? And here, here he is. And you, you remember how Peter was offended by that thought it was beneath Jesus' dignity to stoop down like that and, and serve that way. And so finally, well, this. Jesus wanted us to know that he was here to show us God, to show us the Father. And at a point, in John's Gospel, it's a verse right after the ones we use at, at a funeral about, um, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But Philip has asked him about that, and he said to Philip, have I been with you all this time, and still you have no knowledge of me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And they saw him washing their feet. They saw him blessing the children, as Bob referred to. And this is, he says, I've come to give you the perfect picture. I've come to show you what God the Father is like. And so St. Paul then, having that impact on his life, wrote this, though he was God, Jesus, he gave up that high position, that divine position. And he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he stooped low, there it is, in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And so, Bob, thank you for pointing this out to us, that, that here is this man, Jesus, and 
and representing the Father in heaven. And what is he doing? He is blessing us. We don't deserve it. There's not a soul in this room who could say to God, you know, I deserve your blessing, God. No, we don't. He does it because he loves us. He does it because of who he is. And so that is such a powerful testimony that you have set us up how, get this book and read it. Uh, Russ Parker talks about this bending the knee. God bends the knee to us. I, I don't know that I'll ever really understand that. I don't know that I'll ever. I want it to go into my heart, but my heart doesn't want to receive it. So maybe you'll get it before me, and then you can show me how it's done. All right, one last announcement. Um, on your tables, if you are a St. Philippian, there is a piece of paper that looks like this. And I was asked to ask you, if you would, to take one of these and fill out the part that it pertains to you uh, for volunteering to help at the tea room if you have time and are so willing. And so thank you for your um, help with that. And then I'd like to close us now with a prayer. Lord, we, uh, we need to hear the kinds of things that Bob shared with us today. And thank you for his willingness to be humble and vulnerable and personal with us. He's modeling, Jesus, what you're like for us. And I pray that, that, that from that will come a, a blessing to us and especially a freedom from us to be like you, to find out what you're like and to be like you because this world will be a different place if we do. Go with us now as we leave and write these things in our hearts and bring them to fruition in our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.